it's weird. AA turns everything upside down. September 15th, 1993 was the worst day of my life, and now I celebrate it as the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And you know what happened when I was seven or eight years sober that caused problems in my personal life and in my own questioning, was I really, you know, was I really a good sober person? It turned into me being empathetic towards people and not being so judgy. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Yowza, yowza. That was the voice of my friend, Mr. David G, that you heard at the beginning of this episode. And you, ladies and gents, will be hearing so much more from him in just a moment, but first things first. On this here episode, I believe we're on, oh, let me go look real quick. I think we are on 198, if I'm not mistaken. Now, a real, like a professional podcaster would have this stuff actually figured out before they started recording, but I'm so sorry you are stuck with me. And yes, it is number 198. I have confirmed that to be the case. But first things first, this episode is going right out to Patricia and Marcos and Bradley and Nadja and Terry and Anna and Kurt and Todd. Do you happen to know what Patricia and Marcos, and Bradley, and Nadja, and Terry, and Anna, and Kurt, and Todd did, well, let me fill you in. They went to our newly revised website that the lovely Mrs. M has set up during her spare time. They clicked on the little yellow PayPal donate tab, and they made a a contribution. So thank you, Patricia and Marcos and Bradley and Nadja and Terry and Anna and Kurt and Todd. This episode is coming right out to you. Thank you so much. I, John M., just another bozo on the bus will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table and let's get started. Remember, no matter who you are 
or what your past looks like, yeah, I'm talking to you. You are welcome here. It is an open table to all, and we are excited that you have joined us. So I got a couple things going through my little pea brain right now. One of them is, do I want to share what I just got back from? And you know what? Here goes nothing. Now, keep in mind, folks, this is not a... Mm, what would you call it? A uh, uh, This is nothing I neither endorse nor oppose. I'm just kind of sharing my experience, strength, and hope. So recently, oh, and it kind of turn, it kind of uh, works in with what we're calling this episode and uh, why we ended up calling it that. But nonetheless, um, I have recently been going to a. I guess you call her a, a therapist, and the therapist is a, a she specializes in a, a technique. I guess is what you call it. It's called brain spotting. Now you can go and look that up on the internet if you like, uh, but uh, it's very interesting. It all kind of deals with you know trauma and that kind of stuff. And I've been like four or five times now, and I've been reticent to actually sure about it because you know I, I don't know. I I just I don't know if this this particular podcast is the place to do such like something like that. But obviously, I'm sharing it right now. And I just wanted you to know, I've been doing it. Uh, and and it actually puts me in a different place. And the reason I'm thinking about it right now is because I just did it a couple hours ago. And it's kind of, it makes me a little bit low energy, a little bit more mellow, which is fine. I need to be a little bit more low energy and a little bit more mellow a lot of the time. But Anyway, if you're interested in just checking it out, you can look it up. Like I said, on the internet, brain spotting, uh, S-P-O-T-T-I-N-G. Um, and you're more than welcome to send me an email, john, J-O-H-N at silverspeak.com, if you have any sort of uh, feedback on that. And here is a big announcement, I guess is what you would call this. Guess what, folks? Between me and you... This particular podcast, Sober Speak Podcast, now has one million unique downloads. Can you believe that? Between me and you, we made all this happen. Um, I, you know, I remember, and by the way, most of that's happened over the first couple of years. Like the first year of this is just like me and a few of my buddies who were listening in. And, you know, I'd call some friends from a meeting over and they'd come over here. <laughs> I'd record them and I'd go, let me see if I can figure out how to get this thing out on the internet. And I would do it and I'd be, oh, wow. Hey, we got it out there. Oh, it sounds horrible. Uh, you know, the, the sound is horrible and you know I wasn't great with questions or anything like that still not fantastic but nonetheless uh, we would get it out there but now we have actually have one million downloads and, and you know and I, I realize that's just a number and it's not really about the number uh, but it does kind of give you uh, a oh, some sort of um, um, guidepost if you will for I guess we're reaching some folks out there, and it, and it seems like from all the feedback that that I get in, you guys are wonderful about sending in both emails and you send in you know messages via Instagram and Facebook and wherever you are uh, sending those things in, and I'm just I'm so thankful for y'all. 
I really am. And, and thank you for listening. I know you have so, so many things you could be doing with your time. And the fact that you come in here and listen to my silly little podcast, hopefully we're helping some people in all four corners of the world. And I really do appreciate y'all really do. All right. Now on to Mr. David G and the title of this particular episode is called therapy session. Now you're going to hear as we start out discussing the 12th step and we were really going to focus on as a result of these steps. But as usual, when the spirit enters the picture, I never know really where we're going to go with these conversations. But as our conversation did many times, we meandered quite a bit. I would love you to listen in. Let me know what you think. We would absolutely love to hear from you. By the way, um, I know my friend David is go. If you're in the Oklahoma City area, uh, he is going to be speaking at the Oklahoma City um, Citywide Conference, and that is coming up at the end of. August. Uh, I'm assuming you can just Google Oklahoma City Citywide and see it there. But if you have any questions, feel free to send me an email and I will point you in the right direction. Uh, that is John, J-O-H-N, at Soberspeak.com. Once again, if you're not following us on Instagram, it's at Soberspeak, all one word. If you want to be in the super secret Facebook group, look up secret Facebook group on Facebook and ask to be request admission into the group and we will gladly let you in. Now on to Mr. David G and we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this episode. Enjoy David. Okay everybody so today once again back in the sober speak hot seat i guess we would say is mr david g a fan favorite if we want to call it that for sure so david my friend why don't you go ahead introduce yourself give your sobriety date if you would and tell people which area of the country that you live in Hey, everybody. I'm David. I'm an alcoholic, uh, sober since September 15th of 1993. So I'm Texas born and raised and uh, live in the Frisco area about a half mile from, from John. So we are back at it again. David, last time we got together, first of all, we started this. I I don't know, a year and a half ago or so. At first, I had you come in. We kind of gave your story, or you you gave your story. And then after that, we got together. We did another episode. And then I kind of decided, somebody had written in and said, hey, uh, I think you did step one or step two. And someone wrote in and said, hey, can you have David do the rest of the steps? So we started this thing where you would come back over. You would do another step. And so we've been at it for a while. And now we are at... Step 12, and the last episode we did regarding step 12 was on having had a spiritual awakening, dot, 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 was actually the name of the, the episode. And now we are kind of up to, so as a result of these steps, we tried to carry the message to other alcoholics, and, and we'll probably carry the practicing these principles in all our affairs at next time. I don't know exactly where we're going to get, but... 
So do you want to kind of go over just real quickly what, I mean, not in detail, but what your thoughts are on at least the first part of step 12, having had a spiritual awakening, and then go just go right into as the result of these steps? Yeah, you know, the concept of having had a spiritual awakening was a very abstract thing to me. I I don't know if I was purposefully prejudiced against the idea of spirituality, if it was you know, something ingrained in me from childhood, you know, the hypocrisy you see in the world and, you know, not to go on and on, but just not seeing behaviors match up with public proclamations of belief. And uh, I think that I came in here jaded, you know, just like step four, uh, chapter four in the big book is all about we agnostics and it's about prejudice and it's about what we come in here with and my inability to put my mind around something. And, you know, the big book tells us we can put our mind around lunar's travel and no doubt we'll do it, but yet we, we shudder or recoil from this idea that there is some higher power that could possibly help us in any way. And I, I definitely struggled with that and I didn't have some long conversation with a spiritual person and figure that out. Um, when it says having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, that is where my spiritual awakening happened. Um, the first time I knew something had changed, and I don't, I would be shocked if I haven't talked about this with you guys before, but I can't remember, is I had a, 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 what I called the gut. The gut was this feeling that I had. It was kind of like falling in love and being, you know, super, super like intoxicated with another person, kind of mixed with the nausea that you might vomit from fear, all inside my abdomen. And I had it around relationships and losses of relationships and gaining of relationships. But I also had it in relation to my compulsion to use drugs and alcohol. And when that was on me, I began to call it the gut, and it was a physiological occurrence. So when I had gotten through most of my ninth step amends, you know, when I say most of them, I'd say probably more than half, but not all, my sponsor, we sat down and we read step 10 in the big book, and it talked about being placed in a position of neutrality. And when I had the recognition that I had been in a position of neutrality for months now, that I had not fought off the gut, that I had not fought off the thought and obsession of a drink, it was a miraculous event for me. It was a spiritual experience because I knew that I would spend the rest of my life like that book that I, I probably never read, that men live lives of quiet desperation. I knew at that moment that I did not have to live a life of quiet desperation in regards to the gut, in regards to my compulsion and obsession to use drugs and alcohol. So now you talk about spiritual experience in terms of what else? Is it just about not drinking? And obviously, so many more things have happened in my life because I've been doing this. I'm 53 years old. I've been sober coming up on 28 years, and I continue constantly trying to increase, grow, uh, and have a better spiritual experience, you know, a better ability to harness my relationship with my higher power, with God, um, when I need it. You know, it's when I don't need it, when everything's going my way. When I'm getting accolades at work and at home and with friends, when when people are treating me well, when the lights are green at every stop on the way to where I'm going, I don't really have this like deep need to reach out to God. 
Um, I'm not going to say that I don't thank God when those wonderful things are happening, because I do, but it's not some deep need that if I don't get it together, things are going to go south, because I'll tell you, I handle success pretty comfortably. I like it. But obviously, I've had a lot of failure in my life, a lot of failure that is just prone to humanity, uh, loss, death, uh, people not liking me, um, not having every light be green on the way to a meeting I'm late to, and on and on and on. And it's during those times when I well up with angst and irritation, and I and I would describe it because I'm super like, I'm full of hyperbole when it comes to how life mistreats me when it's happening, that like, I feel like I'm in a fight with 10 guys and they've got me on the ground and I can't get up. I can feel that way on the way to the grocery store. So it's not like I have these horribly traumatic things happening, but of course, like everybody, I lose people, you know? In step 12 and the tw- in the, the 12 and 12, it talks about that type of event. It talks about what happens when life hands you a lump that you can't even swallow, let alone digest. And I have those events like everyone else, and sometimes they're real, real things, the death of my mother, the death of my father, the loss of my marriage. I mean, things that have happened in my sobriety that were virtually impossible for me to handle on my own. And that is what I'm talking about. What has developed in me, and it started with the recognition that I no longer had the gut in terms of drugs and alcohol, is it has grown to a place where I know that I'm not alone. That whatever it is, it doesn't matter how I define my higher power. The higher power that lives within me and lives around me and lives in all the people that I see and touch and and I believe flows between us, that I know because of all of these things that have happened in my life and knowing that I can't handle it on my own and having had tried my very best to rely on that, that I am able to turn that corner. I am able to stop and recognize my own inadequacy and not in a way that I'm beating myself up for not being tough enough and not being able to pull myself up by my own bootstraps, but recognize my inadequacy and that there's no need for me to go it alone. And some of those things are not just prayer. They are reaching out to my friends. They are doing a type of meditation that guides me in the direction of being at peace. Um, They are reading things and going to therapy and, and getting the help I need, whatever that looks like. You know, it's not just me and my higher power against the world. It's me and the world and my higher power trying to function together. So I want to ask you about that real quick. So, And you've been pretty open in meetings about this lately. You mentioned uh, uh, therapy there uh, and not basically just depending upon AA only and what it says in the book regarding, you know, reaching outside of the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous for help. Um, why don't you talk about that a little bit? So I thought I had a really great childhood. You know, I, I hated my dad when I got sober. Uh, my dad is deceased now, and I, in case he's listening, he knows that we ended the last years of his life as very great friends. But we had a lot of difficulty in early sobriety. But I didn't think that 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 meant that i had a, such a bad childhood i 
I thought that my mom hung the moon and that she was the most wonderful person in the world and that, you know, she was humble and she was all those things. But the problem was, is she said things that pushed my buttons and all of a sudden I would be yelling at her in sobriety. And again, my mom and I had a beautiful life and a beautiful relationship, especially at the end of her life. But throughout, other than during my really heavy active addiction, I would, I would say my mom considered me one of her best friends that she ever had. And I know I feel that way about her. But something was wrong. Something was inside of me. I did the steps over and over. I remember that year after year, I couldn't even put my mom on my resentment inventory because I couldn't think of anything that I resented her for because she was always there for me, even as an enabler, which, of course, we alcoholics, when we're drinking, love our enablers. And yet, like I said, I would find myself so angry at her, I would be literally freaking out and have to apologize to her later because I would say such horrible things to her. And, you know, I was not unwinding all that stuff, you know, and I would go to go to a little bit of marriage counseling here and there, and I never got too deep because I didn't want anything that was wrong with me to be found out, I think. You know, I wanted to kind of hide from some of the realities of what you know, some of the symptoms were of this spiritual sickness that was still inside of me. And at the time that I got, uh, when I was in the process of getting divorced, at the time I didn't know I was in the process of getting divorced, but that's what was happening. Um, I was in really very intensive therapy. And they, the woman who I went to, uh, I had a therapist, my now ex-wife had a therapist, and we had a couples therapist. But the person that I went to, did a, a thing called EMDR, uh, and it has to do with trauma. And I would have told you before I did it that I didn't have trauma, because I thought trauma meant that you had to have been in the Vietnam War, or in some horrible car wreck, or had like a serial killer come to your house and kill everyone in your family. You know, that's what I viewed as trauma, these incredibly insane events. And I, I really didn't have things like that. You know, I my dad spanked me really way too hard a couple times, but I really wasn't beaten. I wasn't molested, uh, uh, you know, whatever, you know, I just didn't have that type of stuff. And as we're going through the events of my life, I did find myself kind of welling up in, 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 in tears talking about certain episodes in my childhood. And I'm not going to get specific about those because this would become a therapy session and we'd be on this thing all day. But I'll just suffice to say that my therapist suggests that I try this trauma therapy. And so I did this with her in relation to some things that had to do with my mom. And um, and everything about the way I reacted to feeling abandoned went away. And, you know, I mean, I use the word abandoned in the sense that my mom didn't abandon me like a leave me forever. She would forget to pick me up from things and that kind of thing. And when I was an adult and like I would feel like someone had forgotten about me, forgotten about what I needed from them, forgotten about uh, what they had told me they would do or just no longer wanted to be with me at a moment, I would get this feeling inside of just like abject rejection. And it didn't make sense. You know? In other words the reaction was a little overdone, if you will. Way overdone. And I make, the great thing about Alcoholics Anonymous is it makes it possible for me to keep my mouth shut. I mean, the very first thing we all learn is 
learn how to be quiet. You know, and my grandfather used to tell me that when I was a little boy, he'd say the true sign of an intelligent man are the things he chooses not to say. Now, before I got sober, I wasn't able to do that because I get drunk and say everything on my mind. And then I go, oh, I said that because I was drunk. But the truth was, I got drunk because I wanted to tell you I hated you. But that's a whole nother story. Um, but so he gives us this ability to be quiet, but being quiet doesn't work through the pain that's going on inside of me. The other thing that Alcoholics Anonymous did really well for me, and I'm sure it does for other people, is it taught me how to be of service. It taught me, we're going to talk about it, how to carry the message to newcomers, how to be at meetings, how to make coffee, how to give people rides, how to be selfless, you know? And in the act of being selfless, I feel better. You know, you could talk about the chemicals involved, but oxytocin is the main chemical that's released in our body when we are doing a kind act for another person, and it overwhelms all other feelings. That's the amazing thing about oxytocin and about being of service, is when we release oxytocin, oxytocin into our system, we feel so good about ourselves for doing it that all of the bad inside of us is at least masked for a while. It's got, God's got the game rigged there. Yeah, he's got the game rigged in a good way. You know, it makes us, mm -hmm. it makes my, you know, we say this in AA and God only knows when we say it, we probably aren't talking about specifically what I'm about to say. But we say AA is a selfish program. And you know, in a lot of ways, AA is the opposite of a selfish program. But in regards to this it is a selfish program because I had a lot of damage in me that I did not get to with the steps as hard as I tried. I've worked the steps many, 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 many times. And maybe someone who's listening may say, well, if you would have done it the way I did it, you would have gotten to it. And I get that because I would have said that to you when I was a few years sober, you know, but I tried to get to it with the steps and I didn't. And yet, by being doing these things for other people and sponsoring all these people and being on the steering committee and doing all these things, I was masking and covering up a lot of the stuff that I didn't know how to get to. And I went to therapy pretty hardcore starting when I was about 19 years sober. And I went pretty steadily for a few years, and then I took a break, and now I've started up again. And what I got to with that professional therapist has been life-changing for me. Okay, so uh, let me do a little break and we're going to get to that, okay? We will be continuing our conversation with David G. In just a moment, <clears throat> excuse me, just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at www.soberspeak.com. You can also find the donate button on our website, which you can use if and only if the Spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind, this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right, now back to Mr. David G. So you said that it was life-changing. So talk about that. Well, it changed the way I reacted to a lot of things is the first thing I started to notice. You know, even I had a pretty strenuous uh, therapy session this past week. And when I left that therapy session, I felt exhausted. I felt like I had just like, you know, run a 5K or something. And, um, and then as the days have passed, it's only been not even 
it's just been about two days, I started to recognize a little bit more peace about me. You know, I've got a lot going on in my life. It's very hectic. You know, I run multiple businesses. I've got small children in my house. Um, I've got all kinds of things going on. And sometimes I've, I, I feel overwhelmed. And what I've been doing with my therapist is trying to clear out some of the stuff that's going on inside of me that shouldn't be so that I can just deal with the things in my life that are actually happening. She said it's like when you let stuff pile up on you, it's like it's building up and up and up until you're almost drowning in it, and then one little more thing is too much for you to take. And it seems like you're getting a little too crazy about the kids throwing jello all over the back porch. But today, when they threw jello all over the back porch, I just went and got the hose out and hosed it off. I didn't yell and scream at anyone, and that's a change. You know, I was joking at a meeting yesterday. I said, I don't think anyone's written a book called Shock and Awe Parenting. (laughs) And it's because a lot of times when I'm not in a good place, I find myself being a shock and awe parent. You know, I'm not a physical person, at least in terms of, you know, hitting or spanking or anything like that. But I can really scare the hell out of a little kid. And, And I feel guilty about it after I do it. And so, Some of this is now that I'm parenting uh, stepchildren, is that I try to be the best stepdad I can be to those stepchildren. And I know that if I'm walking around with tons of baggage, that I now know that I've walked around with it. You know, once you know something, you're not going to not know it. And in my in my case, and I hope in all of everyone's cases, but I know it's it's not the case with everyone. Once I know it, it's my responsibility to do something about it. And so. Some people will say, oh, you know, everything I need is in the 164 pages of the big book. And I agree with that to an extent. I do. I agree to it with it fully, actually. I am a big book thumper, an AA Nazi. I mean, I am the guy who, when you ask me to sponsor you, we don't. you don't call me every day. In fact, I ask you not to because I'm busy and I can't take calls every day just checking in. I am the guy who says, okay, you have a big book. Let's start highlighting. Let's get your spiral. Let's start making lists about personal powerlessness. Let's set up a time every week and we're going to meet every week and go through the steps. I am a step-taking big book guy who goes through every page of the big book with every one of my sponsees. That being said, there are things that the big book tells me I need to do. When it's talking about prayer and meditation, it tells you, look at spiritual teachers from all these different religions. They've been doing meditation for years, millennia. The idea that we can't learn from the Christians or the Jews or the Muslims or the Wiccans or the Hare Krishnas or whoever we want to learn from, certainly the Buddhists, we are told in the big book to look to those things outside of AA, and we are also told to take advantage of professionals, of doctors, of psychiatrists, of whoever we need. The big book does not ever say, never read anything else but the big book. In fact, it says things like, we know but a little, more will be revealed. I mean, the 12 and 12. I hear people that refuse their sponsor. I don't know if it's their sponsors or what. They refuse to own the 12 and 12, a book written by the same people who wrote the big book. <laughs> it's amazing to me that there would be this kind of, I don't know, uh, obsession with the 164 pages when the 164 pages themselves tell us to look outside of them. Yeah. Okay. So. I want to go ahead and well next. I want you to tell 
a little bit about what I heard you saying about Bill Wilson the other day uh, when you were actually in in a meeting, and when you said it, when you when he experimented with uh, psychedelics and stuff like that. So right. well, hold on, just a sec. But before we go on with that, I know this is one of those episodes which I as we're recording it, I know we're going to hit hot buttons out there, right? Oh yeah. And I don't mind doing that as long as we do it within the confines of a you know, healthy discussion, which is what I believe we're doing right here. I know not everyone's going to agree with what you're saying, uh, and there will be a lot of people that do agree with what you're saying. And I, But I do want to say, you know, we, we, I try to go by the tradition as best I can. I, in, uh, this podcast itself is not either endorsing nor opposing outside treatment. And I don't think that's what you're saying. Either, no, right? you're, not at all. You're sharing your experience, right? Mm-hmm. And if somebody were to come up to you and ask you what your experience is with outside help, this is the experience you would give them. And I think that that's a, a, a healthy thing. Mm-hmm. Now, what I have found that for myself, when I'm in a meeting and somebody possibly says something that that I don't agree with, or I don't, or, you know, I'm having troubles with it. Well, for me, that helps me to actually clarify in my own self, crystallize within my own self, what my position is. And I hope that people can do that by listening to this. All right. So now I I just want, I just want everybody to know you could take the, you. Right. We, there has to be a disclaimer to anything. I mean, I hate to say, but I know it because I'm not, you know, I'm not an idiot, that these are things that can easily be viewed as controversial. I don't believe that they're controversial because if I, I know people who are my close friends who I love and I respect their sobriety who absolutely don't feel like they need therapy or doctors or any, and that's totally fine. You know, the, the great thing about AA is it allows us to find our place on the path that works best for us. That's right. And we're always on the path. There is no, there is really no crystallization. There is a clarification that may happen at any time, mm-hmm. but those clarifications change as we grow. You know, wisdom comes by not dying and paying attention, <laughs> um, just like sobriety happens by not dying and not drinking. Um, and so, what I am talking about has been my take. And so, when I was about two or three years sober, and I was lit up with my spiritual experience. I mean, the idea that it had now been two or three years since I had had any interest whatsoever in using drugs and alcohol was like an unparalleled miracle in my life. When people would come in and be picking up desire chip after desire chip, I had been that guy. I was the guy from 1991 till the end of 93 when I got sober who picked up desire chips every month, two months, three months. I just could not keep a crack pipe and a beer bottle out of my mouth. And so when I would see this, people picking up over and over, I was uh, so lit up with what had happened to me. So, I mean, I was almost like a, a preacher, you know, just extolling the greatness of our God that's manifested through the big book. And all of that is still true. I still believe that. I do believe that our higher power has manifested through the power of the steps in the big book, right? What has changed in me is this idea that we're the only ones who figured it out. Right. You know, that is where I got off 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 for a while. 
I got off on this idea that because I had found a solution that really worked for me, that it was the only solution. I had the exact same experience. And I think everyone has to have that Mm long-term sobriety. If you don't have that experience, you may not have long-term sobriety because you may not have had the overwhelming change inside that it takes. A, a, A psychic change sufficient for recovery when you're a dope fiend, alcoholic, drunk, crazy ass like I was, it's going to take a pretty significant psychic change to be possible for me to be in the position I'm in today, which is it's no big deal that I haven't drank since 1993. And the reason it's no big deal, because I haven't had the compulsion or the obsession. So back to this two to three years sober, I would hear people, old timers in the program, like I got divorced when I was, I think, 21 years sober, 22 years sober. And I would hear that. And I get a little bit of the rumors about what happened, you know, oh, you know, I think he, you know, snuck out on his old lady or, or he caught her, blah, blah, blah. And I would, I would think in my head, you know, if you work the steps the way I do, you wouldn't have these problems. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a unbelievably arrogant way to think. And there is one thing I've grown certain of in these years of sobriety. That is, I need to be not be so certain of myself, that I need not to make my thinking my higher power, that I need to not think that my opinions have to apply to everyone or else they're not doing things the right way. And that's a, that seems like really like Mr. Obvious, but it's really not. It is a major problem in the world about us that we cannot allow other people to feel and believe differently than we feel and believe. You know, it's like worshiping my own thought life. Mm. And it's not healthy. No, it's not. You know, and that's why I think we talk so much about getting out of ourselves. You know, I had the first real kind of moral downfall experience where I made really bad decisions and caused harm when I was about eight or nine years sober. Up until that point, I mean, I was a sunbeam for AA. I just absolutely didn't ever really feel like doing anything wrong, was just making more money and being a better dad and being a better husband and and letting people in front of me in traffic and paying for the Tide box that I accidentally walked out of the grocery store with. And I just felt like doing it. It felt good. I remember uh, we had the head gasket blow on our car and I had just gotten my first bonus at about two years. I've probably told this story before, but it's really funny because the way my wife reacted, it, it, we got, I got a $2,000 Christmas bonus, and we were all excited about Christmas. And we pull up to the bank to deposit the check, and steam started coming out of our car. Oh, no. And we take it to the AA mechanic, Joe, and he calls me. and goes, man, you're not going to like this, but it's your head gasket. And I'm like, oh, no. And I said, how much? He goes, it's going to be about nineteen fifty. <laughs> oh, no. And I remember thinking at that moment, oh my God, I just got a check for $2,000. What would we have done? Mm -hmm. And my wife heard what it was, collapsed on the floor in grief, and then screamed at me, you and your bleeping AA. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I was lifted up at that moment by what seemed like a miracle to me, even in the midst of a horrible occurrence. So flash forward, it's now eight, nine years sober, and I'm getting, I guess, seven-year itch or something, and I acted inappropriately and embarrassed myself, at least to myself. A lot of people didn't, most people didn't know about it, but it, it, it certainly was something that happened in my home with my wife and my family, and 
I there's a I don't know where it comes from, but there's this line that says all men have clay feet. And what they're referring about is even the most perfect and well moraled people in the world have human frailties. And I learned at that time about my human frailties. And I became it's weird, AA turns everything upside down. You know, like September 15th, 1993 was the worst day of my life, and now I celebrate it as the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And you know what happened when I was seven or eight years sober that caused problems in my personal life and in my own questioning, was I really, you know, was I really a good sober person? Is it, it, it turned into me being empathetic towards people and not being so judgy. You know, I was super judgy. I'm the last person in the world that should be judgy about anyone or anything at any time. And yet in early sobriety, the first three, five, six years, I just was super judgy and I didn't mean to be, I didn't even know I was until I kind of stepped out of myself and looked down like God does and thought, man, David, when these people make mistakes in AA, it's not your job to judge them. It's your job to go to them and love them and give them something that you maybe can offer to help them have a better life. Even if it's just saying, hey, man, you want to go get a cup of coffee or whatever, you know, I just didn't do that well until I started to suffer my own, you know, foibles. So I want to go back to something I asked about a little while ago, and then I got you off track with some other conversation. But we were talking about the outside help, and I and I appreciated your history lesson, I guess, a little bit. With, oh, about uh, Bill Wilson. Yeah. And can can you talk about that? So my understanding is that Bill Wilson suffered from horrible depression. Okay. Now I, I'm not going to get into a bunch of specifics because I don't know specifics. I've heard about the like unlicensed Bill Wilson memoir that talks about this, but he was going to a lot of therapy because he was extremely depressed for many years in AA. And you know, back then in the 30s and 40s and 50s, they didn't have serotonin replacements. I mean, they didn't really know how to help people. You know, people were severely depressed, and they pretty much it was either some sort of therapy or you were severely depressed. There wasn't a pill to replace your serotonin that would make your brain work better. And so he went in the 50s, I believe, and did some uh, therapy using psychedelics. And this is before LSD was known as a street drug. This was a, a, a drug that was being used to try to help people psychologically. And my understanding is, is that he did a few uh, sessions where he was put on psychedelics and they used it to try to create new pathways in his mind so that he could have a better experience with life. And people talk about that. You know, I've heard it almost like as a rumor in AA that it happened. And with kind of this viewpoint, we'll see Bill did that. He's not really sober, mm -hmm. you know? And I, I think that that goes hand in hand with this kind of judginess that people can have in AA, including me. I don't have it anymore in terms of that, but I used to. Um, I remember when my first wife had postpartum depression, you know, I just think, thought she needed to improve her spiritual life. And, you know, our therapist looked at me and said, what, did you go to med school? <laughs> and, um, you know, I was like, oh, I guess not. You know, because again, I worshiped my thinking. Um, 
I have a completely different viewpoint of it. And I'll tell you, I have not done any therapy with psychedelics. I'm not saying I never would. I don't really have severe depression. Um, but I do know people who have now that they're doing it again because they stopped doing it when they criminalized LSD uh, back in the 50s. And that's why he wasn't able to do it anymore. But my thought today, and I have no way to answer this, and no one probably does, is the reason Bill Wilson was able to stay sober the rest of his life tied to his ability to get through his depression because of that therapy? I, mean, I don't know the answer to that. But he certainly didn't do it to go get high. He did it so that he could find a way through dark, dark times in his mind. And I respect that. I respect that Bill wrote in the big book and in most of his literature, go get help, because he knew that he had to go get help to make it through alcoholism. Uh, yeah, that, that is, uh, uh, I love that thought and, and I like thinking about it and, uh, I don't know if it helped him or not, you know, like you said, who knows, but I am glad that he, isn't that basically what they do nowadays though, with people, uh, in terms of doing therapy? Is it, there's a lot of it. There's a lot of controlled, uh, a lot of controlled with MDMA, which is ecstasy. They do it with psilocybin, which is mushrooms. They do it with LSD and they do it with ketamine. Hmm. And these treatments are psychedelic treatments that are very controlled environment and they walk people through trauma and the people's trauma gets better. And once again, I want to point out we don't endorse or, not, or yeah. oppose I've it. never done any of those right, things. And neither have I. I would yeah. tell you about it if I did. I'm right. an open book. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Um, but I think it's very interesting. I do. I yeah. think it's interesting, and I think that AA welcomes us investigating that. You know, I have gotten a tremendous amount of help. You know, since we're talking about it, and I said I would tell you, I've done EMDR multiple times with the same therapist a few years ago. And so, explain to people. It's I'm. Eye movement re a D. Uh, I can't think of what the D stands That's for. That's all right, but it's, it's EMDR, an acronym, right? EMDR, it's an acronym. and it's a thing with your eyes moving back and forth, or they use paddles that send signals to your hands just to make your brain go left and right. And it allows your brain to begin to build pathways between your limbic system and your cerebral cortex, and it stops these things that are controlling you underneath. Your subconscious, they make them part of your conscious and you're able to just live with them and not have them control you in negative ways. I've also started a new thing for me. It's called brain spotting and it's another form of therapy that doesn't involve any drugs where your therapist takes you into these places where you feel a lot of pain. And helps you to metabolize. Is that brain mapping? Is that the same thing? Yes, brain mapping. Brain, brain. mapping. Brain spotting. I'm sorry. Brain mapping. Okay. Yes. Sorry. Wrong <laughs> word. And and it's it's a it's a you do some physical cueing that is supposed to help you again be able to metabolize these things that lurk under the surface. You know, there's a great line in the twelve and twelve, and it's in step eight, and it's talking about. And I probably talked about it on the podcast because I've I've thought it is so important in my life. It says a very deep, quite forgotten um, emotional conflicts persist below the level of consciousness. At the time of these occurrences, they may have actually caused violent twists to our character, which have discolored our personalities for life. Now, so, that, so just That's real, not exact, but that's pretty close. Right. So just real quick, do you know if Bill was writing that 
And, you know, I know you're not an AA historian, but was he writing that before or after these treatments? It must have been right around the time. The bi- I think the 12 and 12 was 12 or 13 years after the big book, which mm-hmm. was in, what, 1939? It was the early 50s that he's doing that stuff. Okay. I'm, I'm sure there's somebody out there that knows. I, I would love to know it. You know, right. I, please don't think I'm some know-it-all about this. I'm just trying to take all this in like the rest of you. And I welcome a discussion about this with anyone that is interested in it. You know? Yeah, and if you are if you are interested in that, John, J-O-H-N at SoberSpeak.com, and I will get you over to David. Yeah, uh, well, I talk to people on SoberSpeak regularly. You know, I've made a lot, several friends from all over the planet from because of sober speak and I'm an AA guy I go to meetings every day if you want to talk about this or educate me on it I welcome it cuz I would love to know more and I, I tell you I would love to know more because it has made it possible you know I don't we were talking about maybe talking about sponsorship you know the question becomes when we we have had the spiritual awakening as the result of the steps and we try to carry this message What's the message? I can tell you this. At one year sober, when I was sponsoring people like crazy, the message was not the same as it is today. The big book is the same. The step instructions are the same. But my experiences in sobriety over the past 27 years are immeasurable in terms of what I have had to use the steps to go through. So the message what we're talking about right now, which probably seems a little weird, yes. it's all part of the message. It is, it is, but but I will say this, okay, so we started this, as you know, wanting to go into the to the middle part of the 12 step. Right. I, because I'm curious about the things you've been talking about lately, got you way off track. And, no, and I, I think it is on track, okay. though, John. I really do think it's on track. You know, this we I really believe that we draw this box around things, that we compartmentalize things. And I don't think that this conversation should be compartmentalized. You know, I think that the all 12 steps, that the only thing that sep- makes the steps separate is that we've numbered them. I don't believe that there is any less connection to 1 and 12 as there is to 3 and 4 or 4 and 5. They are all intertwined. And and I am guilty of like I I kind of think in chronological terms in linear terms right. one through twelve and it's actually what helps me get this thing out on a consistent basis right, right? because organization of, because it's like an organizational skill. However, I do I completely concur with what you're saying. But where where I was kind of going with that is is that I think you know in my head I'm thinking okay what's the title of this episode? Mm -hmm. And we've gotten a little bit off a track of what we were going to talk about to begin with. And, and, and I think what, what I think the best thing to do is go ahead, wrap this one up. And then we're going to come back again and talk about the, the, the 12 step and at at an even deeper level or different subjects within the 12 step. Right. I mean, we haven't even talked at all about working with sponsees. Right. That's what I'm saying. About you being my sponsor (laughs) and what that means. Cause it's not, it's not the same. I mean, we've worked the steps together mostly in step studies. Yeah. 
I don't even do my fist steps with you every time. <laughs> I do my fist steps with like rando people who I want to get some other input, you know? Right. Uh, and so that's what I mean. I want to take like a whole episode and talk about like just because I have so many people that write me in about sponsorship and yeah. what is sponsorship and how do you sponsor? How do you find a sponsor? All that. So and, and we, we could take a, a whole session talking about that and practicing these principles in all our affairs. Mm-hmm. And there's just so much right. more to dive into. The nature of relationships changes so much from when I get sober until whenever I'm not alive anymore. You know, it has done nothing but change. And it's a good thing, you know? Not, you know, the only thing that's constant in my life is Alcoholics Anonymous in the big book, but everything that the tendrils of AA, which like permeates every level of my existence, all of those things have changed. And we're going to get together and talk about that again. I'm excited. Yeah. So, I mean, real, I mean, you live as, as you just referenced earlier, we, we live very near each other and, uh, it's just a matter of both of us fitting it into our fairly hectic schedules, which is a good thing. You know, we, we both have, you know, lives and families and the whole nine yards. And so that's good. So, all right, I'm going to read as I always do, from page 164 of the big book. By the way, I don't usually start here, but just because of where you, what you have been talking about, I'm going to start a little bit, uh, uh, I'm going to start the paragraph before. It says, our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. Mm. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditations what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right. And great events will come to pass for you and countless others. That is the great fact in capital letters for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear of the way the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Mr. David G., Thank you for coming by. Always fun. Good to talk with you. Thank you again, David G. We will be having David G. back on the pod real soon. Like I said uh, at the beginning of this episode, if you're in the Oklahoma area, or if you're not near there and you just want to drive in and see David speak, he will be speaking at the Oklahoma Citywide event, and that is in Oklahoma City, and it's at the end of August. And I think... uh, I'm sorry, I should have looked this up. It's either the last Friday or the last Saturday. I got a feeling it's the last Saturday of the month in OKC. And my friend Randy L. wrote in to request his presence, and I was happy to hook those two up. And I know David, I've seen him speak many times. Uh, You'll absolutely love him. It'll give you a chance to meet him eyeball to eyeball. Irma DMs me on the Instagram. And Irma says, 
Hola, John, double exclamation point, coma esta mi mejor amigo de Bill. And by the way, mi whore is spelled, for those of you who don't know Spanish, and I'm not sure exactly what this means, it's M-E-J-O-R, not M-E-W-H-O-R-E. <laughs> she says, Hola, John. Como está mi mejor amigo de Bill? <laughs> she's she's kind of mocking me from some previous episodes where I have uh, struggled with my uh, Espanol. She says, I just wanted to say hi. I love listening to your intros and all the emails people send. You crack me up and a big old smiley face from Irma. And then she says, I know you have mentioned that people skip through your intros. I even heard that nice lady's voice message about it. You are one tough cookie not to let this bother you. Oh, well, thank you very much, Irma. She says, I guess that's one more thing we learn in the program, not to feel sorry for ourselves and not to take ourselves so serious. That's right, Irma. She says, I am a couple of weeks away from being three years sober, and I am so grateful for how much my life has changed. Big heart. She says, anyway, I guess that's it. Amigo, laters, L-A-T-E-R-Z, laters, <laughs> like, like potatoes, eating potatoes, laters. Nonetheless, I digress. Thank you so much, Irma. I appreciate you writing in. Brad writes in and he says, one, three, five, and never felt so good. And what the one, three, five is referring to the number of days Brad has been sober. And he says, John, greetings from this sober guy. Sometime back, oh, he says, let's call it August, September. Last year, I reached out thanking you for your service and these invaluable meetings between meetings. Over the past five years, I struggled with alcohol. In, in March of this year, my wheels, quote, blew, unquote, off the wagon. Falling off is an understatement. I did something I've never done before. I didn't just attend a meeting and look at the hardest step I've ever taken. I didn't just attend a meeting and took the hardest step I've ever taken. I truly admitted I was powerless over alcohol. I said it in outpatient treatment and meetings. This time is different. I have a sponsor and a brother and the lights are on and Brad is in the house. <laughs> Brad, I'm so glad you are in the house, brother. He says, I attend daily Zooms, communicate with my sponsor, journal and pray. But most important, I listen to your helpful podcast. Well, if I had to get rid of one of those, I'd get rid of my podcast, but I appreciate your kind words. He says, I don't, I don't need my email read. Oh, <laughs> well. Well, sorry, buddy. <laughs> we, um, 
we we are there. He says, I don't need my email read. Now, he's not saying don't read it, but he says he doesn't need it read. He says, I just wanted you to know how much in big capital letters I appreciate you in capital letters. I'm on to the seventh step. I don't rush. I don't expect. I just let it flow. FYI, that's not always easy. I get you, Brad. He says, as I've heard too many times, just do the work. I show up and do what you people tell me to do. I get it. I'll check in on the 180, day 180, I'm assuming is what he means. He says, your brother in AA, Brad R. Thanks for keeping me up to date, Brad. And I'll look forward to day 180, a day at a time, right? Jason writes in and he says, Hey, John, I live in Keller, Texas, which is in, yeah, I know where that is. He says, Northeast Fort Worth. And I've been here since 2019. Prior to that, my wife and I lived in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I know about Rouge, Louisiana is the Master Jason. He says, I recently met Rick W. Yes, I know Rick W. He's my friend in a meeting yeah, over there in the, uh, I, I bet you were at the, uh, what's it called? Get in the car group. I'm almost, I, I bet you anything that's where you met him. But anyway, in a meeting here in the Metroplex and we began to talk and he informed me about Sober Speak. In fact, he was one of your guest speakers. Yes, I remember Mr. Rick. Yeah, he was a great guest. If you haven't heard Rick uh, W., Oh gosh, I can't remember his name of his, uh, it was a real, oh, in, oh, I know what it was. Insanity doesn't have an expiration date was the title of his episode. So you could go back and look that one up. Anyway, it says, I have listened to quite a few of the episodes and I find many of the speakers to be fascinating. I really enjoyed the Q&A format. Matthew M is great. I have heard him say several, I've heard him several times on speaker tapes, but much more in depth in his series with you. Jenny, Jennifer HK is a riot. Sometimes we need a good laugh and recovery and she is one to deliver that. You are correct about that, Jason. He says, you often mention the secret Facebook group. I would love to join the group. Can I be added? My email is such and such. And as you know, Jason, you got in that group. I just emailed you back and said to find super or actually find secret Facebook group and Facebook asked to be admitted and we get you in. Mm, what's their name? Facebook changed their ways on me. So, uh, but I realize people are listening to past episodes and, and hear that. So thank you very much, Jason J. Thanks again for, for, for such an awesome po podcast. I really enjoy it. Well, you are welcome, Jason J. Nick writes in and he says, I just wanted to say what a blessing your podcast has been to my life. Whenever I'm having a bad day and I can't reach a meeting, I turn on your podcast and all of my selfishness goes away. It grounds me and takes my thoughts off of myself. Your podcast has helped me to stay sober more than you'd ever think. I'm truly grateful for the stories you take the time to share. What a wonderful hope fulfilling experiences you have on Sober Speak, Nick L. Well, Nick L., thank you so much, my friend, for writing in. I appreciate you listening and all of the kind words. 
That's it, everybody. That's a wrap for this week of A Sober Speak, episode number 198. We will be back next week, most likely, with 199. Like I said, I do this one week at a time. And as I mentioned on the beginning of this episode, thank you all so much for a million downloads of this particular silly little podcast. Um, hopefully, we're putting a little bit of good in the word out, world out there. God bless you. Keep coming back. It works if you work it.